Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and as always, I'm delighted that you can join me on this sports podcast where we are pushing into late June, still have live hockey to talk about. Craig Swanson's going to join to talk Stanley Cup final, Lightning and Avalanche, the 2-1 Avalanche lead, but the Bolts are rallying, trying to go for a three-peat. We break down that series, the head coaching carousel, the changes there, and the NHL awards. Talk a little Wimbledon, some college football sprinkled in as well. But first up, Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting. A lot to talk about. He was in Singapore for UFC 275. We break down that, the throwing light heavyweight title title change. And uh, talk about what's on the agenda. Big card to start off July as well. Another pay-per-view there. We talk a little boxing, other news and notes. It's Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch Effect, followed by Craig Swanson. Let's start the show. All right, now with us on the line, it's been a minute since I've caught up with him in the world of MMA, boxing, of course, pro wrestling. It's Jose Youngs now. Jose, thank you for joining. I've been, uh, you know, the only guy that's really been flying more than me recently, <laughs> uh, but uh, MMA writings, Jose Youngs, thanks for joining the show, my man. What's up, man? I'm still super jet lagged from Singapore, and that was almost two weeks ago. So if any one of your listeners like, why is Jose sound asleep? It's because I, I'm half am. Well, look, it's a far trip. We, we don't have to get into the logistics of it. But at least you got to see a great card, and you got to cover a great card. I mean, it would have been worse yeah, if yeah. you went out there and it was a dud. And I don't you find it funny, at least I do, that sometimes the cards that you could say on the outside are less stacked end up surprising you and being some of the better ones? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how it, always, that's how it usually is. Like, anytime people complain about a fight card and then the fight card happens – they're usually like, oh, that fight car was amazing. I'm like, yeah, but like four days ago, you were complaining about how underwhelming it is. So yeah. uh, I always tell people whether if they want to, they always go, oh, should I watch this card? I'm like, I mean, you should watch all the cards, but I can't tell you if it's going to be good or not because we've had cards that have been absolutely stacked and we've had fights that people have been dying for and they just don't pan out. So that just, just goes to show you to watch every card. Yeah, and as we were chatting about before, uh, you're you're a bit of an agent of chaos too. So like when controversial yeah. things happen, I know you just love it, and I'm kind of like that too. Uh, luckily, though, I mean in that case, uh, the June 11th card, UFC 275 from uh, Singapore, interesting one. You you had three at the top that really, and those are the ones I want to focus on that were really uh, you could even say historic or important for a variety of we- of reasons. Uh, Zhang Weili, another one, just uh, the elbow knockout. She's yeah. right back in the mix. And Joanna retires. So I don't know if you thought that that was a possibility going into it. I mean, in the media availability, she said, hey, if I win this, I'm going to get a title shot. But the uh, the retirement after from a very accomplished champion, did that surprise you at all? I was one, – once I saw she lost, I said – I if once she lost, I assumed she would maybe do maybe get one more, if not retire on the spot, because she's she's always chasing titles and championships, mm. and Joanna doesn't have anything else to prove. Like if you do a Mount Rushmore of UFC women, she has to be on there. She's the greatest strawweight fighter who ever lived in any in any promotion. So mm. she's got nothing left to prove. She was just fighting because she enjoyed fighting, and she, that was her first fight since their last fight, which was March 2020. So she had like 27 months between fights. Uh, She's busy living her life. She said she wants to become like a like a an, like a fight manager and a businesswoman, and she wants to do like this rally car race and everything. So 
She's 35. She wants to be a mom. So I even if she had won and fought for the title and won the title, I expected her to maybe defend it once, maybe twice and retire. I didn't expect her to fight in the 2024. So I expected either this year or next year to be her last. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a comparison with other individual sports. I mean, they don't even have to be combat sports. But when you're uh, when you're accomplished and when you've you know you're chasing titles, as you said, and you're so accustomed to greatness that you don't want to just stick around, you know. And I get that that she falls into that category because it's nothing left to prove, as you said. The only thing that I will say, Jose, and this isn't a knock on her or any, but just the idea of. The retiring right away, I'm always kind of like in the octagon after you lose is always one where I'm like taking it with a grain of salt because it's so much yeah. in the moment that I have to kind of, and I'm not knocking her or saying that she's not going to follow through with it, but it's just so much adrenaline, so much emotion in there that to do, make that announcement, then I'm always like, okay, we'll see if this is going to stick. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, she could turn around and want to fight again like tomorrow, but I, I, I don't think. That, that's the case. You want to see who's pretty dead set on hanging it up, and she was pretty gracious in defeat, and, and she'll be the first bell. I, I would imagine she'll go into the Hall of Fame maybe next year or the year after. Um, but you do have to assume if, when people retire on the spot right there that they've had this on the mind for a bit. So all power to her. All power to her. And uh, for Ray I mean, she's right back in the mix. I mean, that was that was impressive. And with that division being kind of in flux, why isn't she? Um, but that said, I mean, the other women's fight on the card, I mean, I was stunned, Jose, with uh, how well how well Santos fought, especially dealing with the injury and Shevchenko winning a split decision. Do you throw this up to just a bad night at the office, a tough opponent, or was or is there really something to the, to the sense that maybe there's an aura of invincibility that might be gone here, or is it just one night? I think it's a big combination of all of the above. I, you know, Valentina obviously very clearly definitely had uh, like she definitely had an injury. Like I've heard from people at the apex and uh, like people around the hotel and stuff that she was walking with a pretty noticeable limp. But then Talia Santos is a much like physically bigger fighter than Valentina. Like Valentina says she only got up to like maybe 132 during fight night and she just felt Talia Tyler was just so much physically bigger and stronger than her. And Tyler's also a really good fighter. She only has one loss on her on her record. And I think she put together a pretty good game plan. We saw Jennifer Maya have success in one round against Valentina. I think Tyler just kind of expanded on that over the course of five rounds. And then she did like break her orbital bone on an unfortunate headbutt. Uh, so I hope eventually they do run it back because I want to see what would happen if Tyler doesn't break her eye socket in the third round and if Valentina is 100% healthy. But if anything... It just showed that Valentina is is mortal, that he, she can bleed after all, as 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 they say in Rocky Rocky Four. So, yeah. uh, it's it was a it was a weird fight uh, from both women. I didn't expect either woman to, to come out fighting like that, but uh, for the first time in God knows how long, Valentina looks like she could actually lose a fight. Well, props to her if that is indeed true, as you say. I'm I'm assuming it is that she was injured for not using it as an excuse, still going through gutting it out. Uh, and and the plus side for for Santos, I agree. I mean, the rematch and what happens if she's not hurt with the orbital injury is that this division has been uh, essentially cleaned out for the most part by Valentina. So why wouldn't she be the one to get that rematch? So I'm yeah, it was just I know Tyla needs to have surgery, yeah. so it'll probably be a bit. And then I know Valentina has her eyes on the fight between Misha Tate and Lauren Murphy. If Misha mm -hmm. Tate wins. At 125, I would assume they're going to give Misha the, the the title shot. She's mm -hmm. a new name. She's fresh. She's established. She's new very old popular. Name, new old name. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. 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 New to the division. Yeah. Old for MMA. Old for MMA fans. And of course, you got like Alexa Grasso yeah. doing things down in the lower 
the lower rankings and uh, Macy Barber's on the up and up. And then Man Manon Faroe, who's been on an absolute tear since debuting in the UFC last year. She's fighting on that France card. She's fighting Jessica Andrade. Mm -hmm. And if you beat Jessica Andrade, you get a title shot. That's just how reality is because everyone just assumes yeah. that Jessica Andrade is like she's she's like the gatekeeper for the top two. Like she's not she's lost to Valentina. She's lost to Ioana. She's lost to Rose and she's lost to Wade. She's pretty much lost to the best of the best and yeah. beating everyone else. So if Manon Pharrell beats her, give her the title shot. And there's gatekeepers like you think in the traditional sense, like top 10. This is like a top two gatekeeper. I mean, you're basically like right at the at the throne just can't quite get in that last door uh that said i mean the, the main event of this card as it's been mentioned i mean the glover to shara fight he loses his light heavyweight title to yuri prohaska in an incredible five-round fight that was mm -hmm. finished in the last 30 seconds prohaska wins on the ground in a match that he was gonna lose he was definitely gonna lose if it went to the mm -hmm. scorecards uh, just an incredible performance. The arena was buzzing, as you can attest to, Jose. And what amazes me the most is going into this fight, the questions were, or the, the sentiment was, if this goes to the ground, Yuri's in trouble, and yet he finishes it on the ground. Just a remarkable performance and uh, definitely over-exceeded everybody's expectations in this one. Yeah, this is one of the better title fights I've seen ever up close. I was about five feet away <coughs> from the action, and... Yuri did say at media day, like, he he knew that if he was going to fight Glover or Jan or whoever else, he was going to have to work on his wrestling and obviously his defense, which he kind of kind of abandoned in the middle of that fight, too, because Dominic Reyes dropped him, uh, Vulcan Ozdemir has dropped him, and he's he's been clipped a lot. But he spent pretty much the last 13 months training and working on his wrestling and grappling and jiu-jitsu. He came here to Phoenix to train for – or Scottsdale to train for a long time at Fight Ready with Captain Eric and Henry Cejudo to really build up his wrestling – and just to prepare. So he's not going to go out there and just start shoot bl shooting blasts, double legs, and like high crotch singles and all that stuff. But it's it gets it done against a guy. Like I thought, I think Glover's one of the better wrestlers in the division. And his his top game is so heavy. Like Daniel mm -hmm. Cormier said, it's not that when Glover takes you down, it's when he's on top of you because he just kind of, and he doesn't smother you. He's just heavy and he punches a lot and he punches hard. And the fact that if you watch that fight, 17 <laughs> seconds before Yuri submitted Glover, Glover had full mounts on Yuri Prohaska. It's just crazy to me. It is. He, he's essentially just created a way. He's used wrestling to get back to his feet. So good luck taking him down again. And if you do, good luck holding him there. Because if Glover's not holding you down, I don't know who's going to hold you down in that division. Well, you said one thing there I don't want to gloss over. Uh, and I know you've said it off air, too. Henry Cejudo is a heck of a coach. Yeah. Like he just is, is great at teaching these guys. And uh, it, it's just something that's propelled Yuri to the next level. Uh, you have to feel for Glover at his age. He finally got to the mountaintop at 42. Not sure what the future will hold for him. I know he's still obviously in the mix, but he had this fight in the palm of his hands and credit to Yuri for taking it. But you have to just think like if you're in those shoes, like how did I lose this fight? He, he himself said it. He just got tired. Uh, he had a really bad weight cut from what I hear from his team uh, that traveled to – because he lives in Connecticut. So Connecticut to Singapore mm -hmm. is a long trip. So he said he had a real rough weight cut, but then he also said that's not an excuse. Yuri kind of had a good game plan where he targeted the body frequently and early, and Glover was just like, I was exhausted by the fourth round. He was just fighting on fumes and adrenaline at that point. So, And at that, in, in the fourth and fifth round, if you get anything remotely to a choke, you tap out. Your body just goes into, into survival mode. 
if that choke happened in the first round when they were clean and still fresh, Glover's not tapping. But he was exhausted from just getting punched in the face and elbowed in the stomach and kicked and all this kind of stuff that he just his body just shut down on him. So if they do rematch, which is all is a very realistic possibility, I wouldn't expect to be that exciting. And depending on where it is, I would I would I would assume Glover would have a much different game plan. And he wouldn't try to keep the fight against the fence nearly as much because if you watch that fight, Glover did have an arm triangle, he did have full mount, and he was trying to sweep and all the stuff. But Yuri, from these 13 months of just preparing defense, used the fence a lot to his advantage to to stand up. So if I'm Glover's team, I'm not mad with the game plan. I'm mad that we allowed our mm-hmm. game plan to go down against the fence because Yuri used that to his advantage. I would have much rather preferred everything to be in the center of the octagon, taking away a lot of the tools that Yuri used to stand back up. Well, we know the sequel usually doesn't it doesn't you know surpass what the right. original was. Uh, it's just a life lesson there. Uh, Yuri, 13 straight wins now. He, he's just killing it, you know, across MMA. Uh, and you got Jan Bohowitz out there. You've got a Glover rematch there. Look at this. Suddenly the light heavyweight division's fun again. Yeah, I mean, hopefully Ratchet comes back. Jan's still there. Dominic Reyes is on the up and up. We got Jamal Hill. We got Anthony Smith fighting Ankaliyev. Jamal Hill's fighting Tiago Santos. So uh, all of a sudden, like you said, the light heavyweight division went from a barren wasteland of retired folks to very interesting because honestly like Yuri versus Ankalaev mm. would be awesome. Yuri versus Anthony Smith would be awesome. Yuri rematching Glover would be awesome. Any yeah. of those fights would be great. Uh Jan Blahovic, I wish he had beaten Ratchik in a way that was more convincing right. rather than, you know, Ratchik just blowing his ACL out because that's just super unfortunate for him as a fighter and us as fight fans. But he won fair and square. It wasn't his fault that Ratchik blew his knee out and he was screaming it Yuri cage side when Yuri left Jan was right there waiting for him just yelling at his face saying I'm next I'm gonna get you and this and that so they got the footage to hype that fight up so if I'm but if I'm the UFC I I don't know who Yuri fights next I wait I probably wait till the end of July for a couple of these fights to play out for us Jose Young's here on the money Mitch effect uh you got a busy week coming up going to Vegas for UFC 276 but before that, I wanted to get your thoughts on this card, uh, an interesting main card to say the least. By the way, I mean, just looking at it and tying into pro wrestling as we always do, it seems like they've kind of found that role for uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley as like the opening match on the card. Well, he he, had, he always asked for that. Um, he specifically asked for the opening match on the cards rather than being higher because in his, and it makes sense what he's, like I like, I think he should be higher on the card, but he wants to be either the main event the prelim main event, I'm mean, the prelim main event on ESPN or the first fight going from in the pay-per-view because you know when you're going to fight because there's a hard time there, if that makes sense. So you can't go over the time on the prelim. So like Brad Riddell, Jalen Turner is the main event of the prelim. They can't go, they can't start at 1030. They yeah. have to end it. That fight has to end before 10, which means Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley has to fight at 10 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Oh. Uh, Pacific time. So he, Sean just, Sugar Sean just likes to know. Cause like, if you're fighting, like, if the Sean Strickland Alex Pajeda fight, which is sandwiched in the middle of that pay per view, yeah. if Pedro Munoz and Lauren Murphy win in 30 seconds, all of a sudden you're warming up in the first fight and all of a sudden you got a fight and you're not ready to go. That's a rough situation to be in. So Sean Makes O'Malley sense. just likes to know when he fights. Makes sense, man. I never really thought of it that way. Uh, Pedro Munoz hasn't fought since he lost to Dominic Cruz in December. In a uh, three-round decision, UFC 269 card. 
Uh, he faces, uh, you know, the the hot commodity, one of the hot commodities in the UFC. O'Malley opens in the betting lines as a big favorite. Do you yeah. see this fight being closer than that, or do you think it's more of the same in the ascent of Sugar Sean O'Malley? It's tough to say because Sean O'Malley is past all tests with flying colors. Like Tom, I thought Thomas Almeida was going to be a tough test and he beat him. I thought Eddie Wyland was going to be a tough test and he beat him and they were pretty convincing. Howland Paiva was a weird uh, fight. I didn't quite understand why they why they booked that one, but uh, so be it. Uh, or the Louis Smoke fight that was really supposed to happen. That was a weird one too. The Chris Moutinho fight was obviously a last minute fight, so can't fault him for taking that fight. And then Pedro Munoz, off the top of my head, He's lost to Cruz, and he dropped Cruz in his last fight. Jose Aldo, you know, just the greatest featherweight and greatest bantamweight fighters who have ever lived. Yeah. Frankie Edgar, one of the greatest fighters. Aljamain Sterling, current champ. I believe he lost to John Dotson, but I think that was a split, and so that was pretty controversial. Jimmy Rivera, who at the time I think was like 18-0, 17-0, and I think that was a split decision too. And then he lost to Rafael Asunza, I think, in his UFC debut, and that was when Rafael Asunza was just never losing. So he's pretty much only losing to the greatest fighters of all time and beating everyone else. So I do like this matchup for for him and Sugar Sean in the sense that Pedro Munoz is, I, is on a two-fight losing streak. I believe he's lost four or five, but like I said, of those four losses – Four of the greatest bantamweights who have ever lived, <laughs> yeah. to and not in, including the current champ and Dominic Cruz, the greatest of all time. Uh, and then he's beaten. I think he beat Jim Rivera in that sandwich in the rematch they had. Um, so if Sugar Sean beats Pedro Munoz, that means Sean O'Malley has officially arrived. And the questions are there are no more questions. He is a legit. I already think he's a legit talent, but now people can't question that anymore. Yeah, I mean, this would be another step coming up, but I, yeah, I, I love this division. We've talked about it before. There's a lot of great stack divisions, but this is uh, unequal footing with a lot of them. So O'Malley getting us going as well. You mentioned the Tate Murphy fight, Strickland um, fight as well. Uh, I do want to focus on the co-main fights too because that's what is uh, getting all the pub and deservedly so. It's the third edition of Volkanovski Holloway. Volkanovski, the featherweight champ, 2-0 and against Max Holloway. That second one was pretty close, so a lot of people had it going Max's yeah. way. Uh, this fight was supposed to happen. Uh, it was delayed due to some issues in Holloway's camp. Volkanovski ended up just cleaning out Korean Zombie, much to a lot of people, ourselves included, chagrin. But Volkanovski, 24-1 as a career fighter, taking on the guy who has put together some of the most fights and one of the greatest runs as the featherweight champ, Jose do you see the third installment of this trilogy, of this fight? Do you see it going differently than the first two? Um, I, it'll, I think it'll go to a decision. I don't think either one's going to get a stoppage. So mm. in that sense, it'll be this, similar. I don't know how tight it will be because Holloway did put the beat down on Calvin Cater. And that fight against Yair Rodriguez was epic and one of the better fights of the year. But those were tough fights for Max Holloway, like, he didn't leave those fights unscathed. And if you look at Volkanovski, like, yeah, that fight against Brian Ortega was epic, but he won that pretty comfortably outside of, like, those two submission attempts that he got stuck in. And then he just beat the brakes off of the Korean zombie. So you'd have to assume, I picked Max Holloway to win both times, I thought. But I also think Alexander Volkanovski won both of those. I don't, like, I know a lot of people think he lost the second, which is fine, but I don't think it's a robbery. It was just a close fight. I actually scored both of those fights for Volkanovski, and you just have to assume, like, what's changed. Volkanovski's been clicking on all cylinders. He's gotten better. Holloway's been in two wars uh, against Cater and Yair Rodriguez. Eventually, that's going to catch up. Eventually, you like, like, 
Max Holloway became the first fighter in UFC history, I believe, to have 3,000 total significant strikes landed. Mm-hmm. You can't have that number without fighting a lot for a long time. And eventually that'll catch up to him. And I don't, I'm not saying it's this, this fight. I don't know how easy that weight cut is at this point in his career, too, to featherweight, but I'm still, I, you still have to favor the champ, Volkanovski. I think I put him number two or number three pound for pound on yeah. the all list. Like Camaro's clearly cemented himself as number one. And then it's between him and Izzy, his teammate, for yeah. number two. Miles that up. I mean, that's, that's the truth yeah. of this thing. And uh, we've seen it time and time again in UFC that when it does happen, when it does catch up to you, then it's just, that's it. You know, and boxing as well, too, where the losses stack, you're getting hit more, and, you know, the, the punishment is just too much to take. It's just also fascinating, too, that in UFC we're always talking about the flip side of how guys are older than we thought because they're late bloomers, they take time to develop. Max Holloway is only 30 years old. It's just insane what he's accomplished, yeah. but also what he's put himself through, you know, at his career and only being 30 years old. I do think yeah. that it's the trajectory of Volkanovski more so than it is fair to wonder what Holloway is going to be like because he's had wars and he's had some issues before, you know, with the fight being delayed, obviously. Volkanovski has just been rising. I mean, it's just been clearly getting better each time. So I think that favors Volkanovski. We know Holloway's game, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't no-show these big moments. But no. I definitely favor the champ here. Yeah, and like I said, Volkanovski's been, like, he hasn't shown many weaknesses. Like, yeah, he did get caught in a guillotine and a triangle, and this is not against Brian Ortega, but, you know, Brian Ortega has unbelievable jiu-jitsu, and the fact that that guillotine was about as tight as you can get <laughs> yeah. and not finish a fight. That was so impressive for Volkanovski to achieve. So good on him. Uh, he looks better than ever against Zombie. Max Holloway looks better than ever against Calvin Cater. These are clearly the two best featherweights in the world. And you, not every, it's not normal to have a guy that's already two down 0-2 against a guy get a third fight. But I don't know anyone that's complaining about getting a third fight between these two guys. Main event, style, style bender. Taking on Jared Cannon here, the killer gorilla. He is back fighting and, uh, you know, looking to dethrone one of the greatest, if not the greatest, in the pound-for-pound rankings. Obviously put Usman first, but you mentioned it. Stylebender's right up there. Cannon here, sizable underdog, but he's got some cool, he's got some good results, good finishes in there. Does he have a realistic chance, Jose, to dethrone what's been one of the greatest runs this division has ever seen? I mean, yeah, he absolutely does. Uh, he's beaten pretty much everyone not named Robert Whitaker at, at middleweight. And in that fight, he broke his, I don't know, like the ulna bone, which is like the bone near your elbow. He broke that in the first flurry. So he basically fought Robert Whitaker for three rounds with one hand. And he just, he crushed David Branch. He crushed it like Jack Hermanson. He pieced up Kelvin Gaslam. And then obviously Anderson Silva snapped his leg again against him but he did check that kick so jared cannonier i think that was a culmination of jared cannonier's game plan that led to that and the fight against Derek brunson yeah he got absolutely like grappled and wrestled into the canvas in that first round but then he came back and just decapitated Derek brunson and Derek brunson once broke down jared cannonier's biggest skill it's not that he has it's not that he's more skilled than opponents it's that he's opportunistic in that if he sees a window, he knows when to take advantage of it. So he can basically be losing for three rounds, three and a half rounds. And if you give him one microsecond of a window, he can take advantage of it and then just, you know, turn your lights out. So Israel Adesanya has not shown to have too many windows of opportunity or give too many opponents windows of opportunity. So this is a very interesting fight in the sense that it's a guy who is 
technically and stylistically perfect against a guy who is a master of taking advantage of the smallest errors in his opponent. So both fighters have to be at their absolute perfect self to win. So this, I love everything about this fight. And I think too, I mean, Cannoneer is, uh, he's not a black belt, but he's got a belt in jujitsu too. So he has, he has ability there. Um, no, I, I like the fight as well. I, I think, like, I'm a big Izzy fan. I think he's, you know, you can say in certain fights can have had a, have been boring or not as exciting as other fights on the card, but he's such a great competitor. He knows what to do to win. And I Correct. think that what you said highlights something else, that Cannoneer pounces on mistakes. I just don't know that I see Izzy making that mistake. Agreed. And the fact that Jared is and you're not you're also not going to meet anyone that's nearly as like Israel like Israel Asanya like Uja's confidence oh, yeah. but he's just a charismatic yeah guy. Jared Cannonier's confidence is just so matter of fact and it's just a different level. Jared's like, "Yeah, I'm going to win and I'm going to beat everyone else and I'm going to fill up all the rubies." Like <laughs> he's like annoyed that you question it if that makes sense. So right. in his mind, he's already won. And he's just like annoyed that he has to fight because he's like, just give me the belt. I'm just going to win anyway. So uh, it's it's two interesting stylistic matchups. Like it's two interesting individuals. Israel, like you said, Israel Asanya is about as perfect as you can get in there, especially with his striking. Jared is just supremely powerful because let's not forget, Jared Cannonier debuted as a heavyweight and yeah. then kept and then dropped down a light head. Like Jared Cannonier lost to Glover Teixeira, Jan Blachowicz, and Dominic Ray as a light heavyweight. And he's like, maybe I'm too small. And then he dropped to middleweight and looked absolutely shredded and then just went on a, a tear at 185. So uh, Israel Asanya is essentially fighting a muscular heavyweight in there. So buckle up, fans. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. This is going to be a great card. You got the six fights on the main card special. You look at the bonus there. It's going to be good. Uh, one last note on, on, M- on MMA UFC before we kind of sw- pivot here for a second. Down the road, I know the last, the, the most furthest fight that's kind of been announced is a fight night uh, down the road in September, Cyril Gane versus Tuivasa, heavyweight yeah. fight. What do you think that means for that division? Like that fight and then, you know, Francis out, Stipe Jones are in the mix. I'm just curious your thoughts on the current state, potential near future of the heavyweight division. Uh, I'm going to assume whoever wins between Cyril and Ty fights for an interim title. Most A, because A, Francis might not be in the UFC in 2023. And even if he is, he has a blown out, like a couple blown out knees that he needs surgery on. So the winner of this will probably fight the winner of, hmm, maybe I'm going to say the winner of Curtis Blades versus Tom Aspinall because they're the main event of UFC London in July. So I assume the two winners of those fights will fight for the interim title. It honestly should have been. Flipped. I would have liked to see Cyril Gaon fight Curtis Blaze. I would have liked yeah. to see Tied Tuivasa fight Tom Aspinall, but so be it. We're here. Uh, these are two just, they're they're the four best heavyweights after Francis Ngannou. Just the problem is Francis Ngannou has beaten everyone else. And I'm not including Stipe or John in this conversation because they're, they have to fight and that fight hasn't even, like, let's, like, I'm tired of waiting for that. Like, let's just make that official. So until that fight happens, we're not going to include them in this interim title fight conversation. So I'm looking at these two big heavyweight main events coming up as sort of like a final four, like, tournament. Isn't it crazy still to just think about the fact that Francis won that fight with two blown out knees? Yes. <laughs> yes it is. And like went to the ground. Like it just wow, it's just still 
still just insane. Uh, Jose Young's here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, I do want to switch and talk a little boxing before we wrap this up. Oh, it's getting good. The, these next couple months are going to be pretty good. Uh, and, of course, you know, I, I got to target that August 20th heavyweight title rematch in Saudi Arabia, Joshua, and Usyk. I mean, you showed me the stare down the other day, and I was like, why isn't this fight tomorrow? I can't freaking wait. And the fact that it's in Saudi is a little annoying because you can't get that big epic crowd in uh, like the UK or Europe or whatever, but so be it. Uh, the winner of this has to fight Tyson Fury. I will not entertain any other scenarios. I will not entertain a world where France Ngannou fights Tyson Fury next. And I will not entertain a world where they do a third fight or Deontay Wilder comes in or Dillian White comes in or whoever else comes in. The winner of this fights Tyson Fury. If it's Alexander Usyk and he loses, I'm sorry. Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury is the biggest heavyweight. The biggest – I'm not I'm, – let me rephrase the biggest boxing match, regardless of division, that could happen right now. Yes, Spence Crawford is obviously just a better match as like a fight, but Fury versus Joshua in mm -hmm. Wembley Stadium would mm -hmm. sell out 150,000 seats. And then Usyk versus Tyson Fury is just a stylistic, pugilistic dream of a fight. So let's not pretend that there's any other fights that make sense right. for the winner of, of Usyk and Joshua, which, again, I agree with you. I, wanna ha I want that happening right now. I can't wait any longer. I don't want to like predict what will happen. Look down the road because I know Usyk is, you know, he dismantled Joshua the first fight. He deserves that belt. Joshua has proven that he can bounce back and flip the script. I'm just saying, in a world where there is fury in Joshua, the amount of money that those fighters will make is just going to be out of control. Yes, there's <laughs> like, like right. all of these heavyweights, like fighting in Saudi Arabia, yeah. you pretty much get guaranteed money. Alexander Usyk has the storyline with the Ukraine. Anthony Joshua has the storyline trying to redeem himself and then fight his fellow countrymen that neither of which like each other. And if Usyk wins, of course, you got the Gypsy King versus the Ukrainian like savage and Usyk. And then Ruiz is fighting Luis Ortiz, which is just no, I don't think enough people are talking about because Luis Ortiz is a is a boogeyman, a Southpaw boogeyman mm -hmm. from Cuba. Uh Andrew Reeves, of course, did not look good against Ariola, but I mean, Andrew Reeves also like looked real awful against Anthony Joshua when he weighed 280 pounds. So the redemption arc of of Andrew Reeves needs to continue, and then I need to see Dillian White fight Deontay Wilder today. I don't need any tune-up fights for Deontay Wilder. Just throw him back in the fire. Yeah. We need to for sure. Um, we're gonna also see in September the third installment of Triple G and Canelo. Yeah, on Mexican Independence Day. We'll. See, I mean that that's gonna be good. I think Triple G's forty now. I wonder how that's gonna translate. Canelo coming off of a loss, which hadn't happened only the second time in his career he's actually lost the fight. Uh, you know how I stood on those first two fights, but I just I'm curious to see how both fighters will respond to both the increase in age that they've had since their last fight, and also in Canelo's case going down a weight class and hist history shows that that's not always the easiest thing to do and coming off a loss for the first time since his Mayweather loss so we saw the last time he lost he lost to Floyd well let me rephrase he definitely lost to Triple G in that first fight so mm -hmm. I guess technically this is the third time he's coming off a loss regardless of what the, the judges want to mess around with and call a draw so but Canelo coming down I think Triple G if this fight had happened like uh, when it should have happened like after the second fight yeah. Then it's a different story. But I like you age catches up to everyone. Father Time is the only undefeated fighter out there. Canelo against fighters his actual size, you know, not like Bivol, who is just like a behemoth standing next to him. 
I don't know who beats Canelo. That dude hits so hard. He yeah. hits so fast. And he, I think he's the best fighter alive when he's fighting people his own size. It's when he goes up and tries to mess around with heavier weight classes that he looks mortal. So I fully expect Canelo to just tear through Triple G this time, which is unfortunate because they're the two best fighters from their generation in that weight class. It just this fight is happening at the wrong time, but I'm glad it's fun. I'm glad it's actually happening, and we do get one final chapter to close it. The uh, the best I agree with you completely, and uh, this is the last thing on boxing. The, my favorite division right now to watch and just kind of see how it shuffles. Obviously, you know, with all due respect to to the heavier one in this regard to uh, the Spence Crawford fight, if we can get it, but I like watching the lightweight division. There's just so much there that I think could be made. You know, Cambosis lost the fight to yeah. Haney. They're gonna they're gonna rematch it. Cambosis is gonna do that fight, and we're gonna see what happens there. Um, but you have Lomachenko, you have Javante Davis, who hits harder than anyone probably in that division. You have uh, Tiafoma Lopez, who's fighting coming up. So there's some interesting fights to be made there. I mean, Lomachenko's right back in the game too. I think that could give us the best combination of multiple fights in a row. I mean, ideally. You could, they could put on some. They should be able to put on a tournament, but they won't do that because boxing is silly. Um, like Devin Haney should be rematched in Cambosis, which they will in Australia, yeah. which is silly but dumb. Javante Davis should be fighting Ryan Garcia because they have beef and they hate each other. Yeah. Teofimo Lopez should be rematching Vasily Lomachenko because that first fight was bizarre. And then you could have Cruz and Diaz fighting as, as like the yeah. fourth fight. You could have Fortuna Shakur fighting Stevenson in, there. in the mix too. Stevenson, Kami, all these guys. They're all great. So it's just annoying that this won't happen. But Devin Haney is the man right now, and I really want to see him fight Lomachenko. Or to, honestly, I'll, fight, I'll see that dude fight any of those names. Mm -hmm. like, the only fight I, I don't want Davis... I don't want Tank Davis to jump up there and fight there yet. I want Davis to fight Ryan Garcia first because yeah. that fight has been building and they don't particularly like each other. And yeah, Javante Davis hits harder than anyone else in that division, but he's also fighting a bunch of Uber drivers. Like he's not fighting like <laughs> yeah, high level good. competition. Like that's he, fair. The other no, guys it are. is. It's fair. So, and it's a step up and it's probably not necessarily deserved, but I think he's young enough to where he doesn't have to. So I agree. I and of those guys, Ryan Garcia is the most popular, regardless of what anyone says. Like that's, I don't think he's, I think he's the least skilled and most popular. So at the end of the day, there's a prize fight. So yeah. Tank Davis versus yeah. uh, whatever his name is is uh, Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia is the fight to make. Most popular in the in the in among the fans, least popular among boxers, probably. Correct. Okay. Correct. I think we're good there. <laughs> uh, Jose, last thing. I mean, I got to get your thoughts on you know what's what's caught your eye in pro wrestling. Also, I just was going to ask you, uh, have you ever, like, fulfilled a weekend of covering fights with a torn pec? I have not. <laughs> I mean, that match, I actually, I didn't get to watch that match live, but I went back and watched it, and my God, Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins absolutely tore that house yeah. down. The thing that the thing that stands out to me right now is, A, all the drama happening with the WWE, like, yeah, don't want to say yeah, saw that no. coming, saw that coming. Yeah. And then the, the big pay-per-view, Forbidden Door pay-per-view that we've basically been calling for for... For how long? Like since the moment AEW came like came to be, and then everyone's hurt. Brian mm -hmm. Danielson's hurt. CM Punk's hurt. Uh, uh, Andrade can't wrestle in it because of some contractual weirdness. Like everyone's hurt. Everyone's tied up. No one can do anything. So we get we do get some fun matches. Like we finally get Ambrose versus Tanahashi. We'll get Okada versus Hangman. We'll get a bunch of these other fun fights. Like hopefully Ishii can get in there with Eddie Kingston or Minoru Suzuki can get in there with Eddie Kingston. It's just unfortunate that this all happened now because, like, come on, like Tanahashi CM Punk is the fight to make, is the yeah. match to make. Uh, Okada versus Brian Danielson is 
you know, the two best wrestlers of the last 15 years. I'm not going to include AJ Styles or Kenny Omega in that com- uh, conversation, even though you could. I think it's Daniel Bryanson and Okada. Or even Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. would be just an epic yeah. grappling match. But everyone's hurt, and the wrestling gods don't want us to have anything fun. So, yeah, that's all, what's happening. All I would add to that is... I don't. I don't want to say that the AEW roster has gotten too big, but I think they might need another hour of program. Got a little bloated, or well, just another show. Another show, yeah. Because like, I, I mean, I haven't caught too much of it, but I will say that like, it just feels like everything's crammed in there. A lot of big, a lot of big factions, a lot of big tag matches. You know, I, I don't think there's enough time for this roster, incredibly talented roster, to shine. So that's the only thing I would add. So maybe these injuries are an opportunity for some people to step up, as we've seen uh, in the past. Uh, Jose, pleasure as always. Uh, Red Sox watch. Are we we feeling good? Feeling bad? Feeling terrible? I mean, we'll probably win the wild card and then lose. We'll probably win the wild card and then we'll have to go to Toronto because Toronto will probably finish as like the higher, the higher seeded wild card if that makes sense. And then like a bunch of our players can't even get into Canada <laughs> because they're all weird with COVID. So. Just don't even make the playoffs if that's the uh, case. No so pessimistic, man. I just, I have to say, it's just No like, one's going to you know. catch the Yankees. I said that at the beginning of the year. The Yankees are probably going to win 120 games, and Aaron Judge is going to hit 70 home runs and win, the, win, and win the MVP. I don't think they're going to win the World Series, but they'll probably win the AL because the AL is wide open, and, and they're the, you know, the ones clearly standing at the top. But yeah. so be it. Um, the Red Sox, whatever. Like, yeah. They're winning. That's all I'm happy about. As long as we can finish above the Rays and the Orioles, I'll we'll be happy. Yeah. Well, first place in the Central after last night tied for first Cleveland Guardians. Shout out to them. But <laughs> as far as baseball goes, man, New York, first top two teams in the game, New York, New York. So we'll see. I mean, uh, I think it's going to be – yeah, no, it's not, <laughs> not great for people outside. But we'll see what happens. Jose Youngs can catch his stuff on MMA fighting. Thanks for coming on the show. Peace. Big thanks to friend of the show, Jose Youngs, for appearing on today's episode. You can follow him at MMAfighting.com. And follow him on Twitter at Jose Youngs. Uh, no space is there because he's at every UFC pay-per-view and just about every event they have. So great coverage from the world of mixed martial arts. Always a blast talking to Jose. And now we're going to switch it up and talk hockey. Stanley Cup final with Craig Swanson, our hockey expert. One of them, to say the least. He's got a lot to say on the first three games of the Avalanche Lightning series, what adjustments can be made, teams bet on the injury bug, can the Bolts really do it? Can they come back and win three straight? Or will there be a new sheriff in town, as Michael Jordan once said? Will the Avalanche get their ring? Greg Swanson talking hockey now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, back again. Stanley Cup final. We're into mid-June with this Olympic break that never was. Craig Swanson here. Swanee, welcome back. Good to be back. And the NHL is longer than the NBA now. It's kind of nice. <laughs> it's kind of nice to have it all to ourselves. Um, lot, of, lot, lot to break down. We're about to have game four tonight as we record this in the uh, final. There was awards. There's a lot. Um, let's start with the final matchup, though. I mean, Avalanche and Lightning. The NHL kind of struck gold here because, you know, you got the new media deal. You're on ABC now big time. I think it's the first final that's been all, like, basically public TV. And it's about time. But, yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. You have to go back. I mean, it was the last NHL Stanley Cup finals that was on any ABC was that pre-lockout couple lockouts ago, Lightning Flames. Lightning Flames. I was going to say, was it the Dallas? 
I thought it was a Dallas in the goal crease. Oh, side. God, Brett Hall. <laughs> Sorry, Buffalo, again. But, yeah, that, that Flames-Lightning was the last one. So, Lightning back in it. And they're going for three. Pat Maroon's going for four. That's crazy. But, you know, the fact that you have this, like, dynasty going up against the new dynasty mm-hmm. is kind of good. And I saw the comparisons. We can kind of start here with Oilers, Islanders. Like, which version of this are we going to get? Are we going to get the Islanders that hung on for the four-peat? Or are we going to get the next year where the Oilers said, all right, it's over. It's our time now. Uh, well, I think it's it's over, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, if not for that game three. Well, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> This could have been a quick series. Don't you? Know? you st- I, yeah. I, I agree with you. It's weird that we've had three games. Two of them have been blowouts. Game one was awesome. Um, game three being the blowout. It feels like tonight's game four. Like, I don't want to say it's going to decide the series, but don't but, you kind of feel like it might? And I'm thinking game fours in almost any series is probably the most important game. So it could be 3-1 or 2-2, two, two, right? So it's, it's weird, too, because, like, Colorado has all this firepower, right? And you could break down all the players and the depth. But the one question that they have has been goaltending back end. What's going to happen if their goaltending falters? When you couple that with Tampa has the best big game goalie in sports, it's like this like engine that's revving up, right? So you have to you have to kill them swiftly. Like you get into a game <laughs> six or seven, everyone's going to favor the Lightning just because they've been there before. Yeah. And being down to o two in a series facing an elimination game yeah. isn't going to phase them like other teams. And this goal, the goalie could pull them out a win tonight. You know that alone. If if the goalie plays well like you know you could dominate a team and yeah. the goalie keeps them in and one lucky goal later that you lose the game and now you're pressuring to score in the third period you know yeah is it funny isn't it funny how it all turned like people will, will look at it from the outside and maybe don't follow hockey as intricately and be like well this is a 6-2 game blah 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 that offsides overturn changed the entire complexion it of the did. game because if you're down one nothing down 2-0 in a series who knows yeah. what happens there? Yeah, that was a big... And it was like, Gave them way too much time to challenge. Like, I, it was the right call. Like, yeah. it looked offsides. I know they get more replay angles than we see. But they had over a minute to stall. <laughs> there was some stalling going on. It looked like the assistant coach was just asking the same question over and over again oh, yeah, while Cooper they, was looking at the yeah, angle. They, they, they stall. And, well, same thing in the NFL, I think. I think they should... They should have 30 seconds to make a, a call. Like, you're doing it live on ice. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. And... Look at the replay, 30 seconds. Especially you can't because make, you, you, have you can't vi- see the decision, move on. You have video guys there that are specifically, that's their job. Yeah. They're looking at the angle in real time. They're yeah. ready to go. So, uh, But with the, with the penalty as a result of a challenge, I think that's a huge thing too. Mm-hmm. For Colorado, I mean, they lose one game. We'll see what happens in game four. But the positives of what they can do, uh, just, you know, McKinnon and McCarr, I mean, you can't say enough about what those guys do. And for Kale McCarr, who did win the Norris Trophy, he is just so, like, we know about the offensive weaponry, how good of a skater he is. But for me, what's been standing out the most in these playoffs is he's a one-man breakout. <laughs> like, it's just such an unbelievable luxury to have when you have a guy that can literally just skate the puck out of the zone. <laughs> it's not going to show up on a stat sheet, but just getting your team out of trouble is just a huge luxury this time of year. Yeah, and, you know, when he, you have to respect him, often, you know, for the other team. Mm-hmm coming coming up like if you don't watch out for him he'll burn you yeah you know well that's been the biggest key for the avalanche for me in in the games they've won and even in the goal a couple goals they scored in the last game i mean the power play is is ridiculous too five of like nine five of eleven now 
but they enter the zone so fast, like power play or regular speed, and you can't, Cooper said it in game two when they were getting killed, we can't let them just skate 200 feet up the ice on a post. When that happens, and you know, they get into the blue line, they back everybody off, everyone sags off, and you can work it back up to the point, guys <laughs> can set up. Especially on the power play, the biggest thing you look at this time of year, especially, is zone entry, if it's clean or not. And Colorado, when they're on, I mean, they are entering the zone. It's McKinnon, it's McCarr, it's the third line guys, too. JT <laughs> Comfort, too. Oh, yeah, uh, the Chuskins tearing it up. Yeah, they have, they, their, their entire team. That's why, getting back to the dynasty thing, I was thinking the other day, I'm like, you know what? I could see these guys going on a big run here from, from this point on. Well, it's like you need third-line guys to really, you know, and that's the hardest part of it and why Tampa's so good is, like, those guys are going to end up getting paid and you can't yeah. afford them and then you got to find well, new guys. The Chicago Blackhawks problem. Tampa, when they, yeah. When they, the, the, the pity or the shame of everything is the, the salary cap, That's right? how it should work, though. And it should work, but yeah. I think teams should get relief, a percentage release. If, yeah. you, if you bring up these guys and you draft them, I think there should be a like okay. a salary That's relief fair. for the the homegrown guys. But look at what Tampa's doing too. Like they bring in Nick Paul, they bring in Brandon Hagel. Hagel is a twenty goal scorer. He's adjusted to his role on the third line now. You know, guys like Sorelli, and uh, you know they're able to continue to be guys that can grind it out and play well. And uh, Paquette, who steps up when there's injuries to a guy like Braden Point. So for Colorado, I mean, they've got all this talent so deep. Burakowski, who's injured now too, but like he's a guy that could be playing a little higher, uh, Nichuskin, who we mentioned, who's on fire. That's what makes a difference this year because guys are getting hurt left and right. Yeah. And we can talk about oh, that Kucherov. too. Well, the Kucherov thing, look, I've been open. He's my least favorite player on Tampa. <laughs> I respect the heck out of his skill. Uh, that injury was so fascinating for a couple of reasons. One, it's the Nikita Kucherov experience, right? Like, he started it with the slash. He, and and he, didn't he hit somebody from behind, too? Like a, He's not a clean player. Yeah. Like, I'll just, like, say it as it is. Now, was that hit a little dirty? Probably. <laughs> but the bigger thing to me is, I mean, that was the gamesmanship of why is the first power play on the ice? Because Colorado put their first power play on the ice in game two up six to nothing. <laughs> and yeah, late, that cost Tampa in this case. Cost them, and it's late in the game. And, and yeah, the, the sticks, the little stick drive into the, mm -hmm. the boards but i think it's just kutroff got a the skate stuck under him yeah sort of it was sort of like a weird play yeah there's been some weird injury like the nick paul finished his game but like he hurt his knee didn't hit the board just kind of fell awkwardly and we know these guys are all banged up and that's mm -hmm. when having a deep roster is going to help you mm -hmm. Braden point tried to play couldn't really give it a go we don't know kutroff status burakowski didn't play last game what's his status going to be for game four mm -hmm. And Kadri might come back, but he had thumb surgery. Now, that's the, the funny thing about that one is like Cagliano is playing with the same thing and he's able to kind of go. It's, you know, Kadri's been skating like every day, but he just can't hold a stick. Yeah. I mean. So it's like he's in shape. So it's just a matter of what's he going to do. Yeah. You got to get your, I mean, it's so hard. I mean, the hands are. Well, you no, can please. shoot these guys up with pain pills and, like, numb them up. But <laughs> oh, to physically hold a stick, yeah. like, you have to be able to do yeah. that. I mean, I don't know about you, but, like, if you haven't played hockey for a while, you yeah. get out there and just oh, yeah. practice, yeah. your hands yeah. are sore the next day. L uh -huh. Literally, like, the, yeah. the muscles in your hands are sore. So. I feel like if it was any other finger, they'd be okay. Like, yeah, you know. like if you have something, you can still grab yeah, it. Yeah, but thumb is, like, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, he's a guy who's probably, I would be pretty confident in saying this is his last series as a Colorado Avalanche player because he's done so well and they just can't afford him with deals coming up. But this game four is fascinating too. I mean, Vasilevsky's been settling into his crease, made some big saves. I still feel like 
if I mean Tampa's John Cooper said it himself, power play is not as important as penalty kill this time of year. They've got to stop Colorado from scoring these power play goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't see. I'm not, maybe wishful thinking. I think we're going to get a close game in Game Four, and I think it's going to come down to the special team side, staying out of the box, and just seeing kind of where we are in terms of if Colorado can bounce back after a loss. That was the first time they lost a road game all playoffs. <laughs> Tampa's now got eight straight at home. It's gonna be a fun one. I, I, I'm I, I'm going back to Darcy Kemper though. I mean, you have to. You, I don't think you can make that pull given that it was one game. You're <laughs> up in the series. Yeah, that's a move you make when you're down in the series. Yeah. So, back in, you know. Yeah. And I'm feeling an overtime. We need an overtime here. I I hope so. I I actually really, I sort of hope Tampa Bay wins, too. I know. I I want the longest series. It's just more exciting. I don't have a rooting interest. I mean, how tough is that team mentally, though? Guys like Stamkos stepping up, you know. We mentioned Puckett, Hedman. Like, these guys have just been there. Pat Maroon going to the net. And they would have been there there before the, the Stanley Cup run. If Columbus didn't, I know last team. I feel like a, I feel like a New York Giants fan with the Patriots. Like I want them to just keep winning all these rings. So now I could be like, yeah, we're the only team that could stop. Um, no, so I'm the, the Stanley Cup final has been good. I think that it's going to hopefully be a long series, but you don't want to get Vasilevsky in a game six or seven because mm-hmm. you know what he does there. Uh, I still think Colorado is in pretty good shape depth wise. Oh yeah, and I, I they're think, motivated. Yeah, <laughs> they're motivated, and the, what they've done so far up to this point has been just dominating you know yeah. i mean that the game the other night and like you said that offsides could have changed everything changed everything changed everything colorado's got so many studs so that are young i mean bo byram looks like he's a major player <laughs> uh, i do want to shout out a veteran to eric johnson because they zoomed in on him former blues player <laughs> missing all of his front teeth every <laughs> single one of them and just playing it through uh so that's that's our thoughts on the stanley cup final some other hockey news and notes the awards came out yesterday uh interesting austin matthews mvp it's only second American ever to win the Hart Trophy behind Patrick Kane, who did it in the last couple of years. He gets the MVP over Connor McDavid. Okay, I'm fine with it. All the goals he scored, I think he scored, you know, close to like 60 and like less than the full 82 game slate. Uh, I'm not, no one's going to say he's a better player than McDavid, but yeah. it's a season award and no problem there. Good for Matthews. I mean, <laughs> Keenan Thompson had the joke where he's like, "Good to see the Leafs win something in June." Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's not the only thing they're going to win in, in June. <laughs> uh, the controversy was Norris. McCarr wins it over Yossi, Roman Yossi, who yeah. was going for back to back. I think back, yeah, he won it last year. Uh, Yossi had more first place votes. Oh yeah. So it ended up coming down to the ballot and somebody leaving Yossi off. It's just it's controversial. Oh, Those two had by far the best season. Um, yeah, our defenseman. I, mean, I just love McCarr. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but Yossi had the most points for a defenseman in like thirty years or something like oh, that. Really? Like he was collecting assists <laughs> and you know put put the team on the back to even get to the playoffs. But yeah, it's it's tough to pick against that. I, I just wanted to also mention a guy like I think Hedman came in third. Chris Letang was a top ten finisher at thirty five in the vote, so Solid he's stepping there. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts though on the, all the coaching moves that we've seen? A lot of retreads going on. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, Tortorelli going to the flyer. I know, like <laughs> Torts is a flyer. I just I heard a comedian. I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, I think it was a comedian. It was it was a hockey guy who is just like it's uh, Bartnick, the Pittsburgh guy, who's like trying to, who's predicted this a while ago, and he's just like Torts. I don't know. He's like he'll go to Philly. They like that crap. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, yeah, talk about refit trends. They've 
picked up a lot of retreads. Yeah, years. I just and the toughest thing. I mean, they gotta. He'll shore up the defense. You would think is Carter Hart the answer? You know, part of it last year, you know, was the team in front of him just giving him no support, mm-hmm. um, and that's what Tort will pick up. On the flip side, I just don't know how tough. Like, I don't know if stars are going to want to play for him. Johnny Gaudreau's a free agent. Is he going to want to come there, like the hometown team, now that well, yeah. Ports is there? You know, it's interesting. I think that's a fascinating one. Paul Maurice today signing with the uh, Florida Panthers. So they didn't re-bring back Burnett, who <laughs> was the interim after Quinville got let go. So that's an interesting one. Maurice has done a lot in the league. Cassidy to Vegas. He was out of coaching for like five days. Yeah, back. I mean, that's a good pickup for Vegas. I think so. They just run through coaches like nobody's business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like they've only been around four years. They've had like four coaches. DeBoer to Dallas was fascinating. I don't know that I agreed with that one because I feel like they could have gone in different directions, and that guy's coached all around the league. Uh-huh. Well, they're used to – who was the guy they had, Dallas had for years that went – I swear he's going to every team. Was it Hitchcock? Yeah. Was, did they have Hitchcock? Dallas had Hitchcock. Columbus had Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Hitchcock. The Oilers had Hitchcock. The Flyers had Hitchcock. Yeah. So, yeah, he's one of them for sure. Uh, Craig Swanson here on the Money Mitch Effect. I just think that, you know, the league's in an interesting place right now in terms of, you know, the star power coming up. Like, you've got all these young players that are kind of becoming, like, the faces of the league pretty fast. So Yeah, and, uh, you know, the mainstream doesn't know him yet. But they will, you know. Yeah, I mean, Nathan McKinnon, most people didn't know him. And I'm like, this is probably second best. Him, Austin Matthews, behind McDavid. Like, these are guys that, you know, even McDavid to the North American audience. This was like the coming out party. I mean, Colorado, nobody is the third West Coast, basically. You know, so the East Coast doesn't see these guys. And so you'll see. And McKinnon, just, yeah, you have to watch him play. The guy's... Yeah, he. I don't think he's a go- had a goal yet in the series, but no. he's still dangerous. I know push your 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 defense back and he creates opportunities. Carries his size people. well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he's good. You know, back checking and and defense too. Yeah. You know? No, I agree. I, I think for him to continue to take that next step, though, it's going to have to start producing in this series. But also, just you know, this is also the first run that he's really made. Yeah. So, oh, win a Stanley Cup. It solves a lot of things. You know? It does. It does. It's crazy. Uh, before I let you go, we're getting ready for Wimbledon, though. So I just want to thought Wimbledon thoughts. Who you got going deep in the Djokovic? Tournament? Djokovic I think Djokovic is going to win it, and uh, Serena Williams. Oh no! <laughs> Come on. It's good to see Serena back. It's good to see her back, but she's going to get somebody in the first round that is probably going to. I mean, the I way think. sports should be is you should be in training and fighting shape. And, oh, yeah, you know, she, she just does, hasn't been yeah. on the court recently. She can't do it in doubles either. You're covering half the court. I mean, it's if a she, game, yeah, you know? realistically, yeah, drop shots and lobs to just run her around. But yeah. realistically, like, I don't know what her schedule would be. Like, is she going to keep playing after Wimbledon, what the deal is? But let's say in a perfect world where she's back to playing, even if it's semi-regularly, play a couple tournaments, practice. U.S. Open, you could talk me into a run. Uh-huh. I just... For right away, it's so hard to do this. And we were talking like she could maybe do this 10, 15 years ago. Uh-huh. But it's tough, you know, how young the game is. Like, I could see I could see, see it both ways. I could see her retiring at, at U.S. Open. You know, she's coming back. Is she just coming back for Wimbledon? I, yeah. No, I don't think so. But Australia has been good to her. She's it playing has. well on that court. I, just, so. I don't see her as someone that will do the tour. Yeah. I think it's going to be, a, I'm retiring. Maybe, like, in the final tournament, but I don't think she's going to do the year-long, like, get gifts and get out of it. And I don't blame her. Like, Oh, she doesn't. I don't think don't she has it. any. Uh, yeah, I don't think she has any desire to do that either. No, the women's game, it's funny, because Iga's just on such a perch. Spontech. She hasn't played 
any grass yet, right? No, she sat out that she just gave it a rest break. She's a junior Wimbledon champion, though. So it's like, she can do well, it. It's Coco, isn't Coco? Or Coco's, Coco's French junior open. French champion. Yeah, that's yeah. What Coco's making her strides, too, but, you know, Ega at the top is just so tough. Yeah. And on a confidence streak, it's like anything in sports when you're winning and you're feeling it. Uh-huh. And Osaka would be the only person, but hardcore though. That's hard, it. Hardcore, but she just hasn't. Gone right. Like, and and even when even when Naomi's engaged, playing a lot of tennis, healthy, obviously she's got the injury. Hardcore, I would put her up Naomi with anyone, Ega included. Grass and clay. I mean, grass is such a unique surface. I love it, but it's only three weeks, and like it doesn't. You know, you never really know until until it happens. Yeah. Uh-huh. But clay and just not really been naomi's thing but we'll see i mean someone's got to step up there's going to be a final this year so yeah. someone's got to make it <laughs> and if he gets bounced early we'll be like what the heck's yeah happen? i know <laughs> uh the men's side though you're right with Djokovic. i mean he's just won this so many times yeah i just can't see going against him i'd be great to see nadal three i don't yeah <laughs> i feel like he's only playing because of he's won two like if he hadn't won both i don't yeah, think he's, he's here but because it's a chance uh-huh. but again he said he's going to give it a shot. Like, the direct quote was, I'm going to play and see how it goes. It would not surprise me if something happened. He's like, look, I can't. You know, I <laughs> yeah, withdraw something happens, yeah. They, uh, they got rid of the formula of grass court tennis, of just playing, like, every, like, of doing, they're just going by the rankings, basically. So, like, the Russian and Belarusian players are out, and they're going straight off the ranking. They used to have that formula that weighed results on the surface, which <laughs> I kind of liked because it's such a unique and, time and how of year. Do, how do they do the schedule? Is it like the top half plays the one day? And the well, they this is, if if you recall, this is the first year where they're they're going to play on the middle Sunday. They got rid yeah, of that day right. off. Uh-huh. So I don't, I don't know how they do it. I know they give center court preference to the top players, and the big controversy is who's going to be the woman, first woman center court match because it's always supposed to be the defending champion. I think Halep. Yeah, Halep never got her moment. That's yeah, a great call. Uh, or you just do Iga because it's that. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll put Serena on center court, maybe not first, but it's it's a fascinating time of year. I'll say for the guys' sleepers, um, outside of the the, the Djokovic and all types, Berrettini, finalist last year, mm-hmm. missed a lot of time with injury. He's one, great. One last week. One last week. Um, Felix would be the other one who's, I think, done well on grass and quietly has been putting together as consistent of a year as anyone. Aussie Open semifinals had match points against Medvedev. Only guy to take Nadal the five uh-huh. uh, at the French Open. U.S. Open, I think he makes the quarters. So eh, maybe Felix is a guy to look at. It'd be nice to get some new blood here. And, and Alcaraz, I mean, maybe grass. Like, we haven't seen him play grass. Yeah. And he's done well everywhere else. So he's the other one there. But it'll be good. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, we'll see if my football team has a quarterback this year. <laughs> <laughs> I heard they want to get a stadium, too, a dome stadium. Ugh. It's a lot, man. It's just a lot going on. <laughs> That's uh, the, they're, they're using this shiny object. Here, look over no, here. Yeah, the exactly. From. Uh, last thing I have is I just want to know where is the football trip for the friend circle this year for college it's, football? There's two of them this year. So okay. one's Florida against LSU in okay. Gainesville, and then the other one's up in Lansing. We're, we're uh, Michigan against Purdue, maybe? I can't remember. Lance, exactly. So Michigan State? Uh, Michigan, um, Michigan, uh, Wolverines. So, the, oh, so Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor. Okay, right. Yeah, not in Okay. Wow. So that's how many, and just for, for the people out there, you go to at least one college game in the normal non-COVID year, obviously, but you've gone for how many years now? Yeah, now probably 10, 13 years, maybe. 13. And that's nothing compared to my friend who was doing it like 10 years and this before is the first. Me. this is the first time you're doing two? And, and this is the first time we're doing wow. Well, my friend usually does two, but they're like on the East Coast, so they okay. can easily get there. So but. you've been to about 
20 or so different big time stadiums now. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and yeah. I would go back to some of them because I liked okay. it so much, especially the drinking before. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the best and the worst so far. The be- and I, I know you got to take the travel out of it because I know some of the horror <laughs> stories of like getting to where Alabama where it took you like planes, trains, <laughs> and automobiles. Yeah. So you take that all out. I actually like South Carolina probably mm. as the best. Uh, the worst, it, eh, it's Nothing I mean, too may- bad. maybe Penn State just because it, it got awful. It rained. Yeah, you got to worry about the weather. And it was though. early in the morning, and it was hot as hell. Got you know, it. it was a September. So if you ever, if you ever do another Penn State trip, you got to do like the whiteout game or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, I night game. I always try to talk my friends into going to the marquee matchups. Yeah, but it's hard when you're six or seven or eight of us to get tickets. Yeah, and with it's, those kinds of games, it's like in a college football, and I haven't gone to a ton recently, but I feel like the perfect game time would be like that three thirty slot. Because you can kind of, you don't have to rush out of bed to get to a tailgate, yeah. but and you can still start early. And you're not there all day long. And you're not there all day early. You, you lose your energy when we, you're you've done, you've done Texas, right? Like you, you, Texas? Yeah. And Texas was an early game. We See, I did it as part of a bachelor party. It was a night game, so it was a long day. Yeah. It was a long day. Same, same LSU was a long day, and I swear, and they like to drink there. Yeah. So by the time the game started, I was exhausted. Was that a night? It was a night game? <laughs> that was a night they game. They say it's yeah. like the best night environment. Like yeah, it, just, it was, you know. Because everyone's drunk. Well, we'll see, we'll see you at Florida singing uh, Won't Back Down during the fourth <laughs> quarter, just with your phones out. Uh, should be fun. Craig Swanson, thanks for coming, talking Stanley Cup, tennis, and some other stuff here on the Money Mitch Effect. Yep. That is it for today's episode. Thanks to both guests, Craig Swanson and Jose Youngs. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. A reminder that you can catch every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search the podcast name, Money Mitch Effect, and it pops right up. You can leave a review, a rating, subscribe there. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for some exclusive content. And follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. Next week, we're back. We're going to be recapping the Stanley Cup final, crowning a champion. We'll talk some MMA, some baseballs. We get into the summer. A lot on the sports calendar coming up. We're going to get you through it and take you to where you need to go in the world of sports. For Jose Youngs and Craig Swanson, I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening. Keep enjoying sports.